Hey, good morning this morning. How are you? We got a monster today, but I'm a little bit blanked off, by the way. Kurt Schilling is back in the quote greenie, and he's better than ever. And then, of course, we've got Trey Wallace setting you up for all the college football weekend. And ladies and gentlemen, let's just be honest. Jeff Clark came on here yesterday, and he gave you, he gave you a big-time winner in Dallas Goddard. But first, I know that many people, including our boss, are saying, hey, look, I don't want to see people get suspended for tweets. I don't want to see people get suspended for thought and for words. And that's fine. Everybody's going to have their difference of opinion in Kyrie Irving. But my people are Jewish. My sister-in-law, Jewish. My nieces, my nephews, Jewish. Uh, for a long time, I belonged to a Jewish country club. Jewish people have had enough. I'm not going to lie to you. They've just had enough. Anti-Semiticism is on the rise. And I have been talking about this not only on my show, and I've been very critical of Kyrie Irving and the anti-Semitic documentary that he promoted, whether he says he promoted it or not. My stance is simple. I don't know everything about this instance, but I stand with people that do. I stand with family members. I stand with a community that I love in the city of Indianapolis. So agree, disagree, that's on you. But I stand with family. So let's get to it. Kyrie Irving has been suspended. Kyrie Irving has made an apology. But let's give you a little timeline. All right, let's go first to the press conference. Do you have any anti-Semitic beliefs? Again, I'm going to repeat. I don't know how the label becomes justified because you guys ask me the same questions over and over again. But this is not going to turn into a spin around cycle of questions upon questions. I told you guys how I felt. I respect all walks of life and embrace all walks of life. That's where I sit. I think what people want to hear, though, is yes or no on that question. Yes or no. I, I cannot be anti-Semitic if I know where I come from. I cannot be anti-Semitic if I know where I come from. Yeah, I love how these guys are so deep, right? Like Kyrie Irving's so freaking deep. Stop. I cannot be anti-Semitic if I know where I come from. Shut up. Hey, man, you anti-Semitic? Nah, not even a bone in my body. I made a mistake. I, I put something out there. I didn't understand my influence, whatever it is. These guys are about as deep as a freaking kiddie pool. And they all act like they're, oh, you know, I cannot be anti-Semitic if I know where I came from. Shut Where do you come from? Shut up. I mean, go giving a guy $30 million and went to college for like a year doesn't make him a genius. I, I just get a kick out of athletes that act like they're so damn brilliant. Oh, sh- Nobody would pay attention to you if you didn't dribble a basketball. No one would ask you for your opinion if you didn't dribble a basketball. Just stop. I can't, how about just saying, no, you know what? I'm not. Not even a little bit. I made a mistake. I made a hell of a mistake, and I'm going to pay – for that mistake. And I'm sorry I offended you all. I don't know why. And he can go on to all his nonsense if he would like about, you know, whatever. I know where I come from. I know where I say, shut the living hell up. Now it's just sickening. So now the Nets have to do something that I'm sure the Nets don't want to do. One, yesterday they had to pay for this idiot $500,000. All right. They had to pay $500,000 to smooth this over. Uh, and you know what, Jonathan Greenblatt, 
from the Jewish Anti-Defamation League says, yeah, we don't want your money. Yeah, yeah, keep your money. Yeah, he's like, hell with it. So now the Nets are in a bad spot because Kyrie Irving, I know where I came from. Shut, what? You know what? How, I, I, I swear to God, now I'm a 60-year-old man. And if I had to ask jackasses like this questions every day, I'd just quit. I, I would. If I got to sit there and like hang on every one of these idiots' words, if I had to listen to Bill Belichick every day, every press conference, if I had to listen to Frank Reich every day, I'd be like, hey, man, I love football. I want to be involved in sports, but I ain't listening to these idiots. I am not listening to these condescending fools. If I had to listen to James Harden or Kevin Durant, I'm not li- How about going in and having to listen to Bill Belichick every day? How about that? How about I got to go get condescended to by some guy whose biggest accomplishment is his team was better than another team at getting a football across a line. And these guys act like they invented the wheel. All right, so now the Nets have to react. The Nets suspend this clown, right? Let's, let's see what the Nets had to say. I like what they said. I like the fact that they said he is unfit. He is currently unfit. It's like the fourth sentence from the bottom. We are of the view that he's currently unfit to be associated with the Brooklyn Nets. We have decided that Kyrie will serve a suspension without pay until he satisfies a series of objective remedial measures that address the harmful impact of his conduct and the suspension period served is no less than five days. Look, I understand people that I really respect. Jason Whitlock, I respect his opinion on this. He, he is on the other side of some of this, I guess. Clay, on the other side somewhat. But again, I, I don't stand with me. I stand with people that I know that are tired of it. I stand with people that I know that are Jewish. Family members, as I said. My nieces, nephews, my sister-in-law had a long conversation with my brother yesterday. And he's like, look, I'm still done with the NBA. There's nothing the NBA can do that could make draw me back to them. I have had enough. These are my children, and I'm tired of the anti-Semitism. All right? So Irving had a chance to apologize. He doesn't. Guess what? The league says, hey, look, uh, you're going to meet with me. Finally, Adam Silver, after days, grew a pair. Yay, Adam, you chicken blank coward, you. Uh, you decide, all right, I'm going to grow a pair. So he decides to get involved. He's going to meet with Irving. Now Irving's been suspended. Now the league wants to meet with him. So guess what? Here comes Irving's apology. My brothers and sisters, shut the hell up. Here is his apology. Well, really doing research. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm sure you really did research. Uh, I'm deeply sorry for the pain, and I apologize. I initially reached out of a motion to being unjustly labeled anti-Semitic instead of focusing on the healing process of my Jewish brothers and sisters that were hurt. See, here's the one thing that I disagree with, though. Idiots like this should never hurt you. Like, idiots like that should never be in a position of power to hurt you. That's the one thing that I agree with others on. But I got to tell you, when you're a community like the African-American community or you're a community 
uh, like the Jewish community. You get tired of being marginalized. You get tired of being like just a punching bag for others. You do. Idiots like Kyrie Irving should not be able to hurt anybody. Like the Indie Star comes after me. We print out the articles and we post them because idiots like Greg Doyle and the rest cannot hurt you. They can write their stuff. They can say their stuff. But you know who they are. You know who Irving is. You know he's just a clown trying to be smarter than he is. I think he's a bright guy. He seems like a decent, bright dude. I don't know. But he's an idiot when it comes to many, many things. But I guess we all are. But the bottom line is I personally stand with family. I do. So suspend the idiot five games, seven games, and move on, do whatever. But don't lie to us, and don't make us seem like idiots by saying that this clown is going to have to learn. He's going to have to get counseling. This clown's a clown. You pay a guy $35 million at 25 years old, what do you think guy's going to be? You ask him questions outside of dribbling, what do you think a guy's going to be? He's going to be a clown. You could not have given me a million dollars back in 1980. You couldn't have given me 500000 You couldn't have given me $100,000. You couldn't give me a real job when I was coming out of college or I'd have been a self-important jackass with a social media account. Are you kidding me? So I understand. I do. I totally understand. But don't for a second, don't for a second let Kyrie Irving or any of these other idiots, whether it's Bill Belichick, Frank Reich, any of these other clowns that get up in front and either condescend or lie, don't even give them the power to do anything, nothing, to you. Kyrie Irving, my backside. I was doing research. No, you thought you were being clever. You thought you were being smarter than everybody else. You thought you were being, like, deep. You're as deep as a freaking kiddie pool. Just stop with that crap. Just stop. Jeez. These guys all think they're so deep. Go to one of these basketball players' Twitter accounts. Yeah, they're so deep. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> right. Uh, go to mine. I ain't deep at all. At least I'm smart enough to admit it. Drive you nuts. Drive you nuts. Ah. Anyway, uh, World Series last night. Let's talk about something fun. World Series last night. We're going to talk to Kurt Schilling coming up here in a minute. Let me know when Kurt is ready. But Justin Verlander, I love what Justin Verlander said after the game. He goes, yeah, I've had a couple beers. There's a lot of stress. <laughs> Is Kurt ready, Dylan? All right. Man, last time Kurt was on this show, it, it blew up. The New York Post picked it up. Uh, Kurt basically said to Michael K, stick it. Michael K came back. It's chaos, chaos around here. But we're going to get Kurt's thoughts on whatever the hell it is that Kurt wants to give thoughts on. It's that simple. Including, did you know this, ladies and gentlemen? Kurt Schilling's postseason record is 11-2. Don Drysdale, 3-3. Kurt, I did not know that until I was looking at Twitter last night. Thanks for coming on the show. What's up, Dan? How are you not in the Hall of Fame? Uh, Because I voted for Trump. That's pretty simple. Hey, Verlander <laughs> last night, walk me through this. Two things. One, do you think about your World Series legacy 
before the game because a lot of people were talking about it. And two, when you're out and you got stress, you got to go to the clubhouse and have a couple beers, no? Well, if I was 0-6 in the World Series, I probably would have been thinking about my legacy. Um, you know, I always I, – that was something that I was always trying to achieve in the postseason was to create one, was to to, to have one, to, to – you know, very early in, in my marriage, my wife and I were talking, and I told – you know, she was, we were talking about what I wanted out of my career, and I told her the two things I wanted out of my career were – I wanted to win the Roberto Clemente Award. I said, but as a player, I want I want to walk away from the game and have everybody that I suited up with and everybody that I played against. If you ask them, you know, life or death, one game, winner take all, who would you want to have the ball? I always wanted to be that guy. And uh, I played against a lot of guys who didn't, who were terrified of that. And I think that, you know, that was uh, – I, I – I, I ate that stuff up, man. That was that was what I played for. When when you a guy like Verlander, this is where it's really different. And this is where I don't like baseball nearly as much. Before the game, you're talking about a guy making, you know, millions and millions and millions. You're talking about a guy that's going yeah. to Cy Young. And all I heard was, hey man, if you can just get five innings out of him. Like I think to myself, five innings. Like, if I'm a pitcher, can't we go – I'm thinking complete game, aren't you? I'm guessing that's what uh, you were thinking. Listen, that just hearing that discussion gives me reflux. Um, you know, I mean, I I, uh, I was raised by I, – well, I was raised by Johnny Padres. And I know, you know, this a lot of this is sounds very old, you know, Clint Eastwood, El Camino, old man, get off my lawn type stuff, but – I was always raised to believe that Ace's most important statistic was innings pitched because if you if you pitch the innings all the if you're good enough to be in the game to pitch the innings then all the other numbers would take care of themselves and uh, I found that to be true and and so you know but but you know you can't fault the ball player anymore the ball the modern day uh pitcher is raised very differently than i was and that's not really it's a byproduct of the game that's saber metrics it's it's the money uh it's a lot of things but it's i don't i don't i think the least of those things is it it's not the pitcher's fault and my Altice is not happy that my french bulldog is trying to get her play toy so that's why she's barking Ellie, right. shut up. That's all right. <laughs> hey, Kurt, uh, last night feels like, could be wrong, but it feels like the Phillies are done. Is uh, You're never really done, I get that, but that's a hell of a two games for the Astros. Well, here's the thing, Dan. The, the difference is that, that there is really, there really isn't momentum in October ex- unless you have a starting pitcher that generates it. Um, and, and that doesn't, in this series, that guy doesn't exist. We thought it was going to be Phillies kind of having an edge with Nola Wheeler, um, uh, and, and maybe a Verlander for the Astros, but there is, if you think back, I mean, there is no Drysdale or Gibson. There is no Bumgarner that either team can say to the other team, you know, if we go seven, you're going to see this guy again. That, 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 well, I mean, other than the young kid that, that started the no hitter, um, there isn't any starter that's made the other team go, 
crap, if we don't win tonight, we have so-and-so tomorrow. And that, that to me is the big difference. So no. So when, the answer, so look- my, my response to that statement is no. I don't believe that last night either team, I think Houston's obviously a lot happier because they took game one of a best of three. But, but if you've watched the Phillies at all, you know that, that momentum means butt to them. You said a couple interesting things on Twitter. One, that October crowds give you three to five miles an hour, but you were always more concerned with location. And then you were talking about Syndergaard, and you're like, look, this dude has overpowering stuff, but he doesn't locate all the time. No, I got to tell you that. And and with all due respect, and, and I mean it in the context of a professional athlete, it's frustrating. It's hard to watch him because that's a guy who should punch out 330 guys a year. And, and it's clear to me that no one has ever coached him from a command the fastball approach um, because now, you know, he's gone from 98, 99 to, oh, oh, you know, low is me, 94, 95. Uh, and he's, he's still is a, he's a, still a thrower and, and it's hard. It's frustrating. Um, and yeah, I, I knew I was going to be throwing harder. I guess the, the, the way I would explain it is, is I felt like, that mechanically I didn't change in October. Uh, I just had better stuff because of the energy and the adrenaline. So, so, you know, and, and the pitch that I remember, I remember very vividly, I was pitching in 01 and I think it was the fifth or sixth inning of the game against the Yankees. And I threw a ball and it, 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 I painted the outside corner to Paul O'Neill, and it was 98 miles an hour. And I remember when I let go of the ball, I I, I thought to myself, oh, "My God, it feels like I'm just kind of playing catch." And I looked up at the clock, and it said, and it was 98. And I was like, "Wow, that's damn. I'm I'm pretty good. Like this is fun." <laughs> but but and that you know and, and and but that was how I maintained. I you know Greg, I pitched against Greg Maddox in high school. Uh, in a summer league game, and he was throwing the ball, I think, 91 miles an hour and, and 92. He threw harder in high school than he did in the big leagues. And it was because fastball command was everything. And I, that was one of the things I learned later in my career, or you know, early in my career, but, but later than I would have liked, was I need to be able to, to pitch with the, at 85% effort because max effort, when, you know, I, and there are times – when you reach back and you do max effort a ball, it's usually with two strikes. And with velocity, you get outs up. Because what you generally tend to do when you overthrow is, as you see in these playoff games, you leave the ball up in the strike zone. You can do that at 97, 98, 99. You can't do that at 91, 92, 93. Kurt, did you look at this? Did, did, as a pitcher, do you look at the gun on the side of the wall very often? Like, is that? Every pitch. No. Every pitch. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, they put it in a convenient place, so you could always look at it without looking at it. But but for me, it was always I, – I was always trying to keep my fastball within a two- to three-mile-an-hour range. If I ever threw a fastball that was, you know – let's just say I was 92 to 94 in a game. If I ever threw a ball that was 89 uh, or a ball that was 98 – then to me that was I'm outside of my zone. I need to I need to really because my fastball needs to stay in this very small range of velocities because when I go to two strikes and I want to reach back and throw a ball five miles an hour or harder, it's a market difference. 
and I want my breaking balls to be at a certain place. You know, I wanted my split to be, I wanted my fastball to be mid 90. I want my split to be 89 to 91. So I was always concerned. And, and I, and to me, the guns, and, and it didn't matter. We knew certain guns were, were registered high. Certain guns were registered low. There were teams that would, that would clock that would have the opposing pitchers gun readings lower on purpose and, and to get guys to overthrow. And there were teams that who would, would have guns that read high for their guys to, to make them not overthrow. And you knew who they were, but, but, but for me, it was just a matter of, I wanted to be velocity consistent and that helped me do that. Uh, what was Yankee stadium's gun? Didn't matter. The, the Yankee stadium's gun was their fans. Their fa- their fans were the gun, and, and the, I mean they were. That was the greatest place to play. And, and I got to tell you, one of the things that that I learned early in my career, again, learning from Johnny Padres, who shut the Yankees out in 1955, Game Seven to win the MVP of the World Series. By the way, John, I I used I can remember, um, Johnny took me down to the bullpen one time, and and he had a gun for me, and it was it was the, for that reason for me to to get velocity consistent velocity. And he said, this is the only time you worry about the gun. He said, during the game, the hitters will let you know how hard you're throwing. And, and that ended up to be true. There were nights when, you know, I was 91 to 92 to 93, maybe tops. But my separation in velocities was good enough between that and my breaking ball. So I was commanding ball so well, it didn't matter. Hitters would always tell you how hard you're throwing. That makes sense. I mean, if you're blowing it by him, you're throwing hard enough. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, well, and that was the right. thing. <laughs> you, there were guys. There, there, that was the thing that a lot of a lot of guys talked about. I mean, if you go back and look at a guy like John Papelbon. I remember just being mystified that he could throw the ball ninety-two to ninety-five, and it looked like hitters reacted like it was ninety-nine. And 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 early in his career, hitters, I would ask hitters about it, and they would say the problem with him is the ball comes out of a very different place. And, and and it's it's his 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 delivery mix hides his velocity, and I thought that that was fascinating. And 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 there were and there were guys I played with a guy named Pete Harnish, who was five foot nothing, um, and people used to talk and he used to get swings at a lot of swings and misses. And people talked about the fact that the last ten feet of his fastball just blew up on you. And and, and you know that so there were guys that were just it, it's very different, and and not all ninety threes are created equally. I know that. I grew up with Danny Plezak, and I swear to God, at 12 years old, oh. we would play baseball. His ball had late life, man. Oh, my God. I remember I, I, my first year in the big leagues, we were, we were in Milwaukee, and he was throwing a bullpen. And I went down to throw a bullpen myself, and they had the gun down there. And he was throwing, like, 98 to 100 in the bullpen, and his slider was, like, 93. And I was like – and he, he remember, Sack was left-handed. And it was just – he was just – and I had the opportunity to play with him one year, probably one of the top five funniest human beings I've ever known in my life. Yeah, he was that way at 12. I mean, same yeah. guy. Look, I talk to him all the time time now, and he's the same guy now as he was at 12, and I'm telling you. Right. We're no, trying he to is hit a, against he, him. We're on the same per, team. That's a perfect description. He's a, he's a, he's a perpetual 12-year-old. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right, let's get serious here. What's going to happen in the midterms? I was trying I, – I, I heard – I think I heard you talking about uh, what we were going to talk about in the show, and, I, and you were talking about we were talking about the midterms. I was trying to come up with something. I think it's going to be uh, a reverse parting of the Red Sea. 
I think the Red Sea is going to come crashing back down on on uh, on all of us and save us in in, in that sense. Um, and I can think of of really no scenario other than another, you know. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie 2000 Mules by Dinesh, but, uh, you know, the amount of, of, of illegal and fraudulent stuff that we happened to see in the last election would be, to me, the only possible way we could see something that, that, that I mean, everybody knows that there's nobody in this country, Dan, that, that is in a better place financially than they were two years ago. Everybody's in a worse place. Um, everything. And, and, and contrary to i mean it's i don't know if you if you saw or read i don't read it but i was brought to my attention the atlantic and apparently the atlantic printed a news article that was kind of a mea culpa like hey can't we just forget about covid and yeah can't we just all get along yeah. and move on we were really trying to do the right thing and even though we destroyed hundreds of thousands of businesses and ruined lives and people died because we were ignorant and stupid Let's just all get old. It was almost like the 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 uh, uh, you know Rodney King. Can't we all just get along? Thing and and no, we can't. You you tried to destroy the country, and you're in the midst of doing it. We're watching. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of people whose blood, sweat, and tears to create a small business was destroyed by a group of people that are the elitist of the elite, the liberalist of the liberal. And and the 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 the, the racist of the racist, and you know the, the the left can't hide behind this this their bigotry of low expectations on minorities is so prevalent and so obvious now that that and you're I think you're seeing this. I think they, the the number I heard when I was young and I started into politics was if the black vote ever went eighteen percent to the Republicans we would never have another democratic president. And I think the latest poll I saw was that it's at 28%, which leads me to believe, you know, where the hell are the 72% and what are they thinking? Um, but we we're all living this, right? We're seeing a massive influx of white suburban mothers who were like the democratic linchpin in the, in the polling uh, going to conservatives because the jig is up. We've seen it. We know now these are destructive people. These are power hungry people. These are liars and frauds. And, you know, we're left, honestly, and I, I mean this in a very complimentary way, we're left with going to people like you to get honesty and truth out of the media because the mainstream outlets no longer give us that. And, it, you know, in one sense, social media, I think, is probably the worst thing that's happened to a generation of young people in, ever. But it's also been the only reason we know now that there is a deep state and that there is a large group of very power hungry, morally bankrupt, ethically corrupt human beings that our apathy is allowed to get into power. And, and literally we're watching them destroy our country on a daily basis. Do you happen to see to your point about suburban Mothers, did you happen to see some lady, I don't know who she is, Sonny Hostin, who is a woman on The View, apparently, called those same <laughs> women roaches going towards raid or voting yes. for raid. Yes. <laughs> Deplorables, like uh, a traitors, Nazis, racists. Now we're roaches. Now they're roaches. 
I mean, but but again, any I think any television program that Joy Bayer has a a, a loud voice on is is God bless them. They're good for us. Let them speak. Let their stupidity flow for all to see and hear. Uh, and it's what we're we're doing. I mean, <laughs> you know, you saw Biden's last major speech. You know, the the great uniter uh, once again basically tell the world that if you vote Republican, uh, you ain't black, right? Has there ever been a more racist president when you look back at the history of Joe Biden and the speeches yes. that he's given than Joe Biden? Pre- you know, I'm talking Obama. about in modern times. President Obama. The, nobody. Listen, we had a chance when we elected our first black president, we had a chance to, to, to just basically get rid of that divisiveness in this country. And he took an opportunity over eight years to divide us racially more than any president in my lifetime. He turned on the law enforcement. He turned on the military. He turned on the country's history. Um, and you heard his wife over and over and over again talk about how much she disliked this country. I mean, that, that he was as divisive as anybody in my lifetime. How important, so people understand, because a lot of people, you know, are like, yeah, how important do you think these midterms are? This country can't survive two more years of this crap heap. It can't. Unchecked. First of all, this president doesn't make it two more years. Let's be very clear about that. There's no, I don't think, any physical chance that this president can survive two more years in the White House physically. I don't I, I think I think we're on the cuspus of him already being literally I mean he he's way past mentally fit to hold the office. And 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 I, I, I mean anybody that watches him speak, it's uncomfortable. It's now turned sympathetic for me. Like it's very hard to watch. Um and, and it's also pathetic and sad that the people closest to him would allow him to be exposed like this. But at the same time, this country can't survive two more years of these people being in power. It can't. It just can't. And, and, and you know, I, I'm not, listen, I, I, I would argue, I, I probably don't, I'm not speaking for you, but I think I speak for a lot of conservatives when I tell you, you know, the Republican Party is not the answer because the Republican Party I grew up with doesn't exist anymore. Um, you know, there, there are some fake ass people in Washington, D.C. with an R next to their name who are no more Republican than than Biden. Um, but but the Dan Crenshaws of the world give me hope. The Carrie Lakes of the world give me hope that that there are people that have ethics and morals and, and that aren't bought and paid for. And listen, <clears throat> that's what we if you remember back in 2016, what was the run up to the election? What was the big cry about? The big cry was, we want somebody that's anti-establishment. That's exactly what we got. That's what it looks like. Donald Trump is what an anti-establishment president looks like. He wasn't bought and paid for by anybody. And he basically pulled the carpet up and exposed all of the roaches, which happened to be the deep state Democrats and, and the rhinos. And they scurried for the dark uh, while he and, and just tried to wait it out. Trump was their nuclear holocaust. When you, when you look at Biden, 
and you got, and I'm sure Trump did this too. Like, don't get me wrong, but when the man stands up there every day and tells a personal lie, like today, the New York post is reporting how Trump or excuse me, Biden talked about, he had a million dollar professorship and they're like, yeah, well, never happened. Or I was raised in Puerto Rico. I mean, at one point, at at some point, you got to admire the balls on the guy to sit there and think that people are actually going to listen to this and believe this and not fact check this. And then he goes on and does it the next day. Well, here's 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 where I'm at with that. That's what makes me physically angry is 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 the fact that 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 he lies and that they lie, the media, and the media plays along with it to the, to the point where you have to believe that they think you and I and hardworking Americans across the country are that ignorant and stupid. That's what it, it offends me. Yeah, I, I'm not as dumb as you are. I really am not. And, and, you know, we all know, we know for a fact that the man sitting in the White House didn't get more votes than any president in history. We know that. We know for a fact it didn't happen, but they're going to, but, but they get to dismiss you the second you question that. And that's what's happened. The cancel culture has been their best friend because, and, and I, I would argue, Dan, that's exactly why you're seeing this five-year-old roll around in the cereal aisle. Cause I didn't get my way reaction to Elon Musk buying Twitter because they no longer have an unfiltered venue to spread their COVID lies, to spread their racism lies, to spread their their Kavanaugh, their Russia collusion, their their Harp, uh, their Hunter Biden, all of those things. Twitter was a huge conduit for that stuff. I mean, you had you have outlets now that are going back and saying, "Oops, we made a mistake on Hunter Biden," and they did. They're doing it via Twitter. They're not doing it via their platform because nobody nobody goes behind those paywalls anymore. Why would you? Oh, I'm with you. I, look, I mean, there, there is nothing. It, what do you think ultimately happens with Twitter, with Musk as the uh, leader of it, the owner of it? Well, here's the thing. I, you know, I realized this last night, Dan. What you're seeing is a massive outpouring of, of Elon Musk news. And a lot of it is very confrontational, like, you know, and I'm not sure who's lying because a lot of things I'm hearing are, and people are saying are contrary to what he has done and said about buying Twitter. Hey, I'm it, free speech is listen, free speech for you liberals, for you few liberals that are smart enough to watch this show, uh, but dumb enough not to learn from it. Tw- free speech is free speech, period. There are no exceptions. Other than the legality of free of free speech to harm another human being, free speech is unlimited and unfettered and and unhindered. What free speech relies on is for you idiots who get offended to not listen to the things you don't want to listen to. You don't have to read a tweet. You don't have to read or, or listen to a podcast. You don't have to listen to anything. But free speech affords us the right to say anything we want. The second you put somebody, anybody, and, and, the, and the framers of the Constitution knew this, which is why they did the way they, the way they did. They knew 
that we're that, that we're we're fallible. They knew that we're mistake prone. They knew that we're sinful human beings and that men and women can be power hungry. That's why they put the three branches of government and all of the step stones and bridges into a butt anybody being a, a king. Free speech is exactly that. I can say anything I want and, and, and you don't have to listen to anything you don't want to listen to. But the fact of the matter is when you put people in place or you put things in place, which the left has done to abridge free speech, you basically are saying, hey, listen, you're so morally perfect that I'll allow you to tell me what I should and shouldn't read. And that's that that's where the danger that to me is where the, the you know, that is exactly what happened in the Weimar Republic in the Third Reich in the early 1930s was that the government got to a point where they said, listen, and, and they, they painted it all behind those good COVID intentions, right? We're here to tell you all the things you need to know that you're smart enough, not you're not smart enough to figure out for yourself. We are, right? We, we're going to do these things because we think that Jewish people are the reason that, that German people have it really, really bad. And, the, the, and and they got a, a, a society to buy into the, the, the hype that the government was there to do all the things good for you that you can't do for yourself. When we come to realize that it's the exact opposite, the government is, is the most some of the most corrupt human beings that have ever existed. We can't let them run unabridged and, uh, and, and unlimited. That's the checks and balances of, of a democracy and our ability as a, a democratic republic to vote people in and out. Last thing before I let you go, does cancel culture go away with the new regime and Twitter? No, no, because it still has the media and still has Hollywood, the two two of the biggest microphones that exist. I mean, you, you look at I mean, is there any doubt now that, that, that the Hollywood culture is one of the most dark, devilish, evil, horrible places in existence, uh, a place that would let Harvey Weinstein uh, grow unfettered uh, that would let you know a guy like Matt Lauer have a, a, a door lock on the bottom of his desk to keep females in his office. I mean, these people are some of the largest enablers of the re most repulsive human beings that have ever lived. And they have the biggest microphone. The media is still has reach. Um, and, and Hollywood still has, I, I think far less, um, but I got to tell you, I think I was kickoff. I think I was the kickoff of the cancel call. I was the first guy canceled, I think, by the cancel culture. And it's you know, as the as the as the guy that was the kickoff, I think what you're seeing when you see Bill Maher, when you see Joe Rogan, when you see people who you know, Elon Musk was very liberal, very left leaning. When you see them coming to your side because they realize the ignorance and the idiocy of, of the cancel culture, something's working. Something's working. And, and, and it's a good thing. It's a, it's a good thing. Uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, we were watching probably the weakest, softest, most entitled generation of human beings to ever exist grow up and come out and become adults. And it hasn't been a good thing. Man, it's always interesting talking to you. It, it, it is, man. I appreciate your time. What's a, What are you doing today? What's a day in the life? What are you doing after this? I'm here to tell you that when you retire, 
Monday and Saturday are the exact same days. There's just no college football on Monday. Right. Right. Uh, a note from my friend Danny Plezak. <laughs> I played with him in Arizona. Thought he was great. Gamer too. He gets a bad rap. You'd love to play with him, Dan. A little different, but he puts his balls in a cup and he plays. That's my boy. <laughs> hey, hey, I got one quick police act story for you. I go to Arizona in 2000 and I meet Danny and, and he's clearly, you can tell right away, he's an energetic, gregarious, funny guy. And he's, he's big into racing, racehorses. He has trot, he owns trotters. He's always been big into them. And everybody's telling me that police acts are just a nut. I walk into the bathroom one day and I can hear this guy in the back. And, and you know, it's a, it's an echo chamber in the major league clubhouse bathroom. And I can hear this guy in one of the stalls, go to the whip, go to the whip, baby, go to the whip. <laughs> he's got his headphones on and he's listened to his horses run. And that's what he did every day in the clubhouse. And it was one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. Oh, that is hey, his dad, his dad had him. Uh, he had him. In fact, Jim Leland told me one time, he said, Danny Plezak always has a spot on my coaching staff and he doesn't have to do anything except go to the track with me. That's exactly right. (laughs) Uh, he didn't send me another text. Nose pit. Oh, he's damn good. Uh, he just sent me another text. Knows pitching inside out, studies the game, knows the history. You tell him he's aces in my book. So there you go. It's a love affair. It's always Kurt good to Schilling, hear. Danny Plezak. Take care, Dano. <laughs> Thanks, Kurt. Thank you very All right, much. Uh, Thank yeah. You. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, uh, that's Kurt Schilling. Always interesting. All right, we'll be right back. I got a lot to get to. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. A uh, couple of things. First, that was a lot of fun with Kurt Schilling. You can agree. You can disagree. And he's probably right. He was uh, he was the probably the first guy, right? ESPN got mad at him. I don't remember exactly what happened, but uh, I'm sure he does. It's like I remember everything that happened with me. Uh, I got to get into something here, and I'm not going to do it right now, uh, but Bob Knight is college basketball's all-time best coach. I'm just telling you. I mean, you can say whatever you'd like about whoever won one, what, won what, but uh, don't at me with this, people. Don't, don't even think about it. And sticking here in Indianapolis, the Colts and the freaking Patriots, uh, it's got no cachet. There's no cachet. I want Tom Brady. I want Peyton Manning. I got squat. I got squadoosh. I got nothing. Speaking of squadoosh and squat, Jeff Bezos, along with maybe Jay-Z, just, I don't know, uh, maybe, maybe not. I got no idea whether any of this is true, but this has been reported. Jeff Bezos, along with Jay-Z, may bid on the commanders. Look, if I'm Jeff Bezos, there's no doubt I want to be the owner of the Washington commanders. And if it helps me to bring in Jay-Z, then God bless Jay-Z. Or if I'm Jay-Z and I got that kind of scratch and could put a group together, there's no doubt that I want to be the owner of the Washington commanders. And if I got to bring in Jeff Bezos and I bring in Jeff Bezos, either way, you know what I'm saying? Either way is cool with me. 
But I know a lot of people are celebrating, and I mean big time celebrating, that they won't have to see, hear, or look at Daniel Snyder anymore. And obviously, uh, big hitters like Bezos, big hitters like Jay-Z would be first in line. I've seen where people have put out signs that say, save us, Bezos. Well, they ain't wrong. They ain't wrong. Um, And I hope it happens. And I hope it happens sooner than later. But remember this. It isn't an official declaration of sale. You know, that's not so far what Daniel Snyder has done. What Daniel Snyder has done is he's commissioned the Bank of America to look at transactions within the operation. And that could mean as little as something we'll never hear about or full sale or... It could mean minority shares up for grabs. I don't know. You don't know. None of us know. But let's go Bezos and Jay-Z. I'm all in on it. Anything that makes it better, anything that makes it more interesting, and anything that gets people that seemingly aren't exactly the best people out is okay by me. Speaking of the best people, and this is a bit of a personal note, Ray Guy died yesterday. Ray Guy is the only guy, uh, punter in my world, maybe I'm wrong, that was a first-round draft choice. I remember Ray Guy as a kicker slash punter and as a quarterback in college, I believe Texas A&M. I could be wrong. I was one of those guys that even though we didn't have the information, I followed the NFL draft. I've told people forever. I wanted Don Hardiman, running back, I think out of Houston, to come to the Chicago Bears, and when they drafted some guy named Walter Payton, I'm like, what the hell are we doing? Who is this Walter Payton? Me no likey. Me no likey at all. But they did, and next thing you know, he's the best football player that I have ever seen. But I remember when Walter, or excuse me, Ray Guy was drafted. He was actually the third-team quarterback. He was. He was the third-string quarterback for the Raiders, and I think he got in a couple of games. I do. I think he got in a couple. Now, Ray Guy was a fantastic athlete, a Hall of Famer as a punter, and by all accounts, a wonderful, wonderful man. And I am very sorry to uh, hear of his passing at the young age of 73. Man, I don't like it. All right, I'm going to go off script here for just a second. Ladies and gentlemen, you want to know the importance of a quarterback? Real quick, and then I'm going to get to my hot seat. The Colts are playing the Patriots. The Colts and the Patriots used to be what? Sunday night football, Monday night football. The best time slot. Now the Colts against the Patriots, eh. You got the same coach, Belichick. You got the same kind of system, Jimmy Ursay, in Indianapolis. But the Colts and the Patriots play this weekend, and no one gives a rat's. And I'm not happy about it. You can look this up. The worst, the worst call in the history of the NFL was a fake punt that a guy named Chuck Pagano, the coach of the Colts, tried to do against the Patriots in Lucas Oil Stadium. I was there. I actually thought the Colts were punting, went up to get my wife and I a beer, And I watched it on TV, and I went, what? Look it up. All you got to do is go to uh, YouTube and look up worst play ever, and it will come up. 
Peyton Manning, Marlon Jackson finally got an interception. Peyton Manning finally got past the New England Patriots. It was always very one-sided. Weird things happen on his own side of the field, like the 38-yard line. Bill Belichick, late in the game, went for it up a couple because he didn't want the ball back in Peyton Manning's hands. Two quarterbacks, now that we have learned that it is not Belichick, it is not the horseshoe, it is not Patriot Nation, two quarterbacks, Brady and Manning, made this rivalry. And you can't tell me any different because I'm looking at my phone this morning getting and nobody cares. Nobody cares at all about this game. Coaches on the hot seat. Now, over the year, over the weeks, I have given you a few. All right. I gave you, <laughs> I gave you Matt Rule. He gone. I gave you Tom Thibodeau. I gave you Kirk Ferentz. Kirk Ferentz got a big game this weekend with Purdue. Why is it big? Because two of his best players transferred to where? Purdue. Boom. All right. This week, I'm not letting Frank Reich off the hook. So Frank Reich is the coach of the Colts. Frank Reich did something last week that maybe worked out okay. He got out. Matt Ryan, he got in Sam Ellinger. And Ellinger did this. Ellinger looked like an NFL quarterback. He did not look out of place. So I don't know if he is the guy. I don't know if he's not the guy. But I know it looked like a good move. Now, Colts are playing the Patriots. Jimmy Ursay, the owner of the Colts, has talked openly about the Patriots. The general manager of the Colts, Chris Ballard, had what idiot media members call a mic drop when he said, not did, but said the rivalry is back on. The rivalry ain't squat. And Ballard's one of the reasons the rivalry ain't squat. But I digress. All right. So Frank Reich also fired his offensive coordinator, Marcus Brady, even though Frank Reich, if you haven't noticed, Frank Reich calls the plays. Frank Reich also was involved in trading one of his playmakers, a man named Naheem Hines, who I love. I don't like Naheem Hines. I love Naheem Hines. I, don't, I think Naheem Hines is one of the best guys and a fantastic football player. So Frank Reich, you, sir, remain on the Danny D hot seat. All right, I know that he's great. I know that every meathead, see, some meatheads get logged on as meatheads. Some meatheads get beloved, all right? Well, Dan Campbell of the Lions became a beloved meathead. What are you talking about? Well, when Hard Knocks was doing the Lions, all the little dipstick media guys, for whatever the reason, went outside their comfort zone and actually praised a white guy named Dan Campbell. Now, the NFL media is the worst, but Dan Campbell became one of them. He got all the praise. And as most things that happened with the media, they didn't know what they were talking about. Yeah, Dan Campbell said he's biting the guy's butt cheeks and three fingers, whatever. So Dan Campbell last won a football game on the 18th of September. It was the second game of the year. 
they started out nice. They played the breaks at home off the Philadelphia Eagles. We didn't know Philadelphia was going to be any good. Guess what? They are. And a three-point loss early actually looks good in the Dan Campbell regime. Since then, since then, let me go through. They have lost fairly close. Minnesota, tough game, 28-24, 48-45 Seattle. They got shut out at New England. They got blown out at Dallas, although they were competitive for a half. And they lost a close one against Miami. They have lost five in a row. They have lost six of their first seven games. Now, look, nobody in the world can tell me that a guy that really, come on, I mean, you laugh, you, you go, okay, but he don't really look like an NFL coach. He looks like an NFL coach like Abe Gibran from 1972, but in shape. But Dan Campbell now is on the hot seat. Dan Campbell is a guy that you go, wait a second, it's time to start winning. All the other stuff is cute. All right, let's go through it. Green Bay at home this weekend at Chicago. There you go. Win those two games, and Detroit Lions fans will be very, very happy. Everybody in that division wants to beat Aaron Rodgers. Hell, I want to beat Aaron Rodgers, that smug, scotch-drinking little weasel. I digress. I actually like him. But if you can beat those two teams, obviously the two hated teams, the two most hated teams for you in your division, Green Bay at home and then at Chicago, your toes might be tapping. But when you lose, and I did say when, when you lose those two games, guess what happens? The hot seat gets smoking hot. I mean, yeah, backside gets a steaming. Next week, I'll, I'll put a picture. I'll get a picture to Dylan and Aaron that is going to be our emblem of the hot seat. It involves my college roommate, the great Uwe Blob, sitting in a burning chair. That's how hot seats get. Speaking of hot seats, and last thing, don't tell me about great coaches anymore. Popovich getting blasted. Is he even coaching? No, he's just talking. Steve Kerr, whatever. And, of course, Bill Belichick, who, oh boy, who now, ladies and gentlemen, now is coaching a New England team that without Tom Brady is not interested. It's not. It's not interesting. Nobody wants to watch them. Nobody's going to watch them play the Colts because without Peyton Manning or even Andrew Luck, the Colts aren't interesting. You want to know an example of a quarterback-driven league and why it's considered? All you got to do is look at the Colts taking on New England and the lack of interest without Tom Brady and without Peyton Manning. All right, you want interest? I got interest. Tennessee, Georgia. Alabama, LSU, Indiana, Penn State, damn it. Yeah, I said it. Indiana, Penn State. Northwestern, a 38-point underdog uh, at home against Ohio State. Oh, capesta. My eyes are burning. We'll be right back. Trey Wallace. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Oh, baby, I was just talking to the great Trey Wallace. Look, 301 today. I do a show till noon. My wife and I said, look, we're going to work out. I, we may just roll around in the grass, and all I'm doing in my mind is thinking about college and professional football this weekend with maybe a little bit of World Series ripped in. And the two games, I know my Indiana team is playing, but they stinks, and I ain't happy with them. But the two games, Alabama Slamma at LSU, and then where my man is right now, Athens GA, baby, Georgia 
against freaking Tennessee in the game of the century. Trey Wallace, what's going on in Athens, baby? Man, it's uh, the, the center of the college football universe. That's exactly what's going on here in Athens today um, and tomorrow and, and leading up to the weekend. And look, it, it's going to be fantastic. I, I got out for a, a good seven o'clock stroll this morning and got college students that were already barking at a couple of straggler Tennessee fans that got into town early. Um, it's just setting up for such a fun weekend. And it's November, Dan. Like, you know, in college basketball, it's March, right? Okay, well, college football, it's November. This is where you're going to separate yourself. So it's uh, it's going to be a crazy weekend here. It's going to be a crazy weekend in Baton Rouge, and uh, I look forward to it all. What's going to happen? Give me your take on first LSU, Alabama. Can LSU hang in there? Yeah, I, I, I think LSU can hang in there. I, I think this is a football team that when you you look at them over the last, let's just say, four weeks, ever since I lost to Tennessee where they got blown out, um, it, it really seems like Brian Kelly has let his quarterback, Jaden Daniels, kind of play his game, um, it, which means if needed, get outside the pocket, get down the field uh, with his legs. You know, if not – you can. He's building a relationship with his receivers as well. Uh, you're seeing his passing numbers go up, his overall touchdown numbers go up. He just. It feels like to me, Brian Kelly has more trust in him uh, right now in the offense. So leading into this game on Saturday, I think personally that there is that that opportunity for LSU to hang with Alabama. We've seen where the Crimson Tide. Um, have trouble on defense, and I think it's that they play man coverage. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of one-on-one battles on the outside edges, and, and if LSU can make a couple big plays down the field, Danny boy, we're going to have ourselves a, uh, a fun game on the Bayou Saturday night. The contrarian me is rooting like hell for Brian Kelly because where I'm from, Indianapolis, I grew up an hour away from Notre Dame, I'm so tired of Notre Dame fans ripping Brian Kelly. All the dude did, I know he didn't win a national championship, but hell, they haven't won one since 89 for crying out loud. I just got tired of all the Brian Kelly hate, Trey, from people up here that rooted for him, and he's the all-time winningest coach. Yeah, I mean, look, he's 0-2 against Nick Saban. Um, We we all remember the game, you know, down in Miami where they just got – the doors beat off of him, but you know, he's, I, 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 you know, I wrote about that this morning in my picks. Like he's getting a taste of this LSU Alabama robbery and it, it's maddening as well, by the way, um, just both fan bases. Um, and I think if you, I think if you look at Brian Kelly and what he's trying to do, like I give him credit, like he was trying something different in his career when a lot of people would have probably said, eh, I've done a pretty good job so far in my career, probably hall of fame worthy, do I really want to take that risk to go down there and screw things up? I can give credit to Brian Kelly. I know there's money and all that stuff, but besides the money, he did have to go to Baton Rouge and leave a spot like Notre Dame, and uh, he's about to get a rude awakening to the Alabama rivalry. It's going to be fun, um, but it uh, it cuts deep. So prepare yourself. All right, brother. I know we all – I've never been more involved in Tennessee in my life. My daughter lives in Nashville. All you guys 
are in Nashville. I went to Las Vegas last weekend. I'm still wringing out my liver from hanging out with Chad. Um, do yeah. do do the vows, my vows, do my vows have a chance against Georgia this weekend? You know, I, I think your vows have a chance against Georgia. I think that this is a – look, this is going to be a, a back-and-forth slugfest, in my opinion. And, and I – I had this feeling that we're either going to see one team just beat the hell out of the other, and it's going to be a blowout from the second half, or it's going to come down to like a, a field goal at the last second. Like I think there's two middle grounds there. I don't, I don't see this thing being, you know, oh, a 14 point game or something. I think somebody's going to whip somebody's rear end. So here's what I look at: Hendon Hooker, consistent quarterback for Tennessee in the Heisman talk, Jalen Hyatt. Wide receiver, they got Cedric Tillman back. They have Brew McCoy uh, playing a wide receiver. Tennessee's just explosive. And here's the difference. When you watch this game tomorrow, you're going to be like, man, these are are two completely different type of offenses. Georgia, behind Stetson Bennett, you know, the gunslinger Bennett himself, won himself a national championship last year, former walk-on. I love Stetson Bennett. He's going to come out tomorrow, and they're going to run a completely different offense, Dan. They're going to slow it down. They're going to run the football, and then Bennett is going to catch you out of nowhere. He's going to beat you deep. So that's the type of offensive game that we're going to get tomorrow. They're going to use their big six foot five tight end who looks like a professional wrestler and Brock Bowers. It's going to be a fun game to watch, man. And I'm telling you, the atmosphere tomorrow, it'll come. I don't know how it's going to come across on TV, but I was talking with somebody last night once I got into town. They're expecting over 130,000 people on this campus tomorrow. You know, that stadium only holds around 90. Uh, This is going to be probably one of the craziest football games you've seen. Now we just have to hope that it lives up to it. The one versus three hype, I guess, as you might say. Yeah, because the last time we saw Tennessee in a game like this, it was Alabama. Not only did it live up to the hype, but it exceeded you know, my, my former college coach, Bobby Knight, used to say, you got to get in position to get in position. What that means is you got to beat Alabama to get in position to beat Georgia, which gives you all kinds of national championship type of things. I, is this a play-in game? Well, and, and here's another way I'll put it. Tennessee had to get through Kentucky last weekend to get to the spot this weekend. You know, yes. the same thing for Georgia, yes. having to beat Florida. Georgia had to beat Florida, and then they got them, okay, now we can focus on Tennessee. And I, I look at this game, it's interesting that the question you just asked, because I have gone over this for the probably the past 48 hours since those release rankings are released. You know, Tennessee is sitting pretty because they came in at one. So if they lost to Georgia, and I hate talking about this, the hard, the the good losses, but if they lost to Georgia by like seven, ten points, it's a close game, something crazy happens, I could see them only dropping to fourth. So you're still right there in the playoff conversation. You're technically would still be in the playoffs, and then you went out, and then the committee's got to make a decision. You know, do they take a – uh, an undefeated Big 12 team or a, a one-loss Big 10 team. Like tomorrow – but here's the other part of that real quick. 
Georgia came in at third. What happens if Tennessee just comes out and beats them tomorrow? And because of their strength of schedule, it might drop, even though they got the Oregon win, it might drop them down a little bit too far. It may be hard to catch up. So it gets it's very, very tricky because the winner of this game is going to be playing in Atlanta. Like both of the team schedules are not difficult the rest of the way. So whoever wins tomorrow will play in Atlanta, probably play Alabama again, could be LSU, could be Ole Miss. Um, but that's where I think tomorrow gets a little crazy when it comes to the rankings because I think Tennessee sits pretty and just as much as I think Georgia might look nice as well. So just throw that crap out. Just play the game. You know what's interesting? People make fun of the SEC, at least in my world, where they say it just means more, okay? And my comeback has been, well, all right, you got all these great games, and this isn't the first weekend of it. In the Big Ten, Trey, we're back to when I was a kid in the 70s. We're back to Michigan and Ohio State. And really, no, you don't have weekends like this. You see what I'm saying? No, you don't. And it's and I and I and here's what I'll throw in. Okay. So in the SEC, and I'm not just I'm not putting out SEC homerism here. Okay. I'm just I'm giving you facts and reality. The SEC yeah. has a one versus th- the SEC has a one versus three matchup Saturday and a six versus ten matchup on Saturday. Here's what you're getting out of the Big Ten. Ohio State's gonna beat the hell out of a horrible Northwestern team. Minnesota and Nebraska plays. Okay, nobody cares. Iowa Purdue play. Nobody cares. Maryland Wisconsin. Nobody cares. Penn State Indiana. Eh. Maybe Indiana does something because Penn State's been but really nobody cares. Michigan State Illinois. Illinois is hot right now, but who's really tuning into that game besides those two fan bases? And last but not least, Michigan and Rutgers. I think my point was just made by reading that lineup. Yes. It, it's it is. dreadful. And, and that's where that's where I say to people, look, I get it. I mean, Illinois playing to do what? Get to the Big Ten championship game, which is great. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Brett Bielema has done a great job. And get job. a New Year's Six. Yeah, get a New Year's Six game as well. Like, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. But they're going to get the hell beat out of them in the Big Ten championship game because that's what happens – out of the West. And the other side, you've got a team, Trey, to your point, and you got a team like Mississippi that people aren't really talking about. I don't know. Last I looked, they were 10th in the college football ratings for the playoffs. 10th. That ain't bad. I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's wild to see, but the SEC technically still has five teams within striking distance. Because let's not forget, Ole Miss plays Alabama next week. So just when you think it's like, oh, okay, you'll get a break. It'll be an interesting – no, it'll be Lane Kiffin versus Nick Saban next Saturday. Like, come on, man. Like, I know the arguments are out there, but the the next Big Ten game that I will be actually tuned into or actually interested in will not be happening until Thanksgiving weekend. And and, and that's not a Nazi. That's just reality. Honest to God, it is reality. From a national perspective, that's it. There, there isn't, you know, 
Uh, Big noon kickoff came to Indiana to watch Michigan, and the guy, Eric Shanks, is an Indiana grad. Game day, big noon kickoff. They ain't going to Illinois. They ain't going to Minnesota. They ain't going to Wisconsin. They're just not doing it. It's just the way it's the way it is. So let me ask you this. Let's go out to the West Coast. Everybody tells yeah. me uh, Oregon still in play. USC still in play here. You buy that? I mean, by the way, I, I saw Oregon to open the season in person in Atlanta, and, and that, that loss to Georgia was horrible. But I think this is a different Oregon football team. Um, I think a lot of people would know, you know, follow Oregon's quarterback and Bo Nix, former player at Auburn, former quarterback at Auburn. Um, I, I feel like, you know, I'm looking at Oregon's schedule this weekend. Like they play a horrible Colorado team. Uh, USC is going to play a pretty bad California team. I, I think what hurts them is strength of schedule, but let's not forget about the Pac-12. It's not technically about rankings for the championship game. It's about winning percentage at the end of the year. That's how it's going to be settled. So, look, I, I think that if some teams get beat in front of them, yeah, maybe they've got a shot of getting one of them in. But I'm sorry, if you've got a loss in the Pac-12 and the, your conference schedule's horrid, I don't know how you get into the playoffs. And there would have to be a lot of stuff done for that to actually happen, like what's happening tomorrow in South Bend, Indiana. Because I personally think Notre Dame has a pretty decent shot of beating Clemson. So if you can start knocking one of these teams out and keep it going down the ladder – Maybe you find a way in, but some teams are going to have to lose for that to happen. You know, I always feel this way, and maybe I'm wrong, uh, Trey, but you mentioned Notre Dame and Clemson. I always feel like we get the rankings, then we get them again, but it, but at the end, I feel like it plays itself out almost every year, the way it should. I don't disagree with you. I think that when we're looking at the top four teams right now, it's like, okay, you're going to look at the first rankings and you're going to look at the last rankings. You're going to try to find the difference in there. And I think you're going to find one or two teams that is a difference. But, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. I think the conversation has changed, Dan, when it comes to some certain teams. I mean, you know, who would have thought in their right mind two years ago Tennessee would be in the top five? Um, it's absolutely bonkers. Uh, you know, Clemson – with a quarterback situation that hasn't been pretty this year at times, uh, is, is, you know, sitting in the top six, uh, TC and the biggest part of it all, we've always got that one team, Dan, that one team every year, you know, that sits right outside the top six, but they've got a chance that some team loses and that's TCU. They're seven and oh, but is their schedule tough enough? Do they have enough big wins left? Dan, I don't think so. I think they can run the table, but um, that's why we love college football. There's going to be some crazy stuff happening over the next three to four weeks. I'm ready for it. Is this crazy? You got the number one team minus eight, or excuse me, plus eight. Is that, is that crazy, the line here, what we're seeing, Georgia? Look, I get it. The line doesn't necessarily reflect anything, but how do Vegas gets both sides bet? I understand why there's a line. But is it crazy that it's eight? I well, you know, you got to remember 
Alabama, I'm trying to remember the line now off the top of my head. I felt like it was double digits heading into it, or minus nine, something along those lines, uh, the Alabama-Tennessee game. So Georgia-Tennessee, I mean, you're going to get your three points for being at home, okay? And then they're going to add five points on top of that because they think that, that Georgia's offense and defense, and I think it really comes down to defense, too. Georgia's defense is superior overall when it comes to talent than Tennessee's. Um, so I, I kind of – the line makes sense around like that six mark, six to eight, and I'd watch it over the next 24 hours, Dan. I mean, we're, we're about 28 hours away from, from kickoff tomorrow. I, I'd watch that line um, because I, I feel like that one could take another – little bit of a dip so if you want to hop in hop in and make some money now 66 and a half that's a lot of points that's the overall Tennessee I mean Tennessee will have 40 of that at least right by <laughs> third quarter fourth no I, I joke uh yeah it, it seems like a lot but I'm telling you Dan like if we get into something where neither team's rushing game is working we're just gonna start trading touchdowns I mean so I didn't think that we'd be talking about Georgia-Tennessee turning into a Big 12 shootout game, but uh, I don't know. If you've got enough stones, maybe you take that over-under. I'm not touching it, but maybe you can. <laughs> Somebody else. I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it either, and then all of a sudden I'll be watching. It'll be 45-39 going into the fourth quarter, and I'll be like, damn, Trey. That was an easy over, you know. I mean, I, 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 I just I can't see this game being fourteen to ten going in the fourth quarter. But who knows? No, we've seen. I think that type of game has the LSU Alabama feel, not the uh, not the Tennessee Georgia type of feel. So, you know, we're gonna find out, man. It's I'm, I'm telling you, this is going to be a uh, a, a massive football game that. I don't think people around the country will truly appreciate until they tune in tomorrow and see the people that have lined up outside the stadium on top of the bridge trying to get a look inside. Um, it, it's going to be bonkers is the word that was used to me yesterday. And the prices to get in, by the way, you'd have to go to the black market and sell a liver to get into this game tomorrow or at least part of your, you know, part of your liver. Yeah, well, after being in Nashville, they won't want my liver for a few weeks. But hey, I I understand, brother. It was I saw I saw six twenty five just to get in. I, I I don't know if it was standing room or all the way at the top, but it wasn't anything any good. It was just six hundred twenty five big ones to get in. So there you go. You're going to pay over six hundred fifty dollars to touch an angel tomorrow. So have fun. <laughs> yes. Thank you, my friend. A great weekend coming. You previewed it wonderfully, Trey. Thank you. See you, brother. That's at Trey, T-R-E-Y, Wallace, underscore. Do yourself a favor. Do Go. Yeah. Follow Trey. Follow him all weekend. Follow him for the best content. Stay at Outkick.com. Look, we're just rolling here at Outkick. We just are. It's, it's what we do. I'm sorry, but you know what? While others are sitting around... Uh, worried about going woke and getting broke. You know what we do? We just keep giving you the best information. Oh, my God. Speaking of information, have I been on fire gambling? Oh, my God. I'm just giving you 
bet. I mean, I, yesterday I told my brother we're going to take because our guy, Jeffrey Clark, said it. Dallas Goddard. I hope you got in on that. I hope you got in on the Dallas Goddard. He gave us over, over 45 and a half. Look, I got to tell you, midway through the third, the dude had 100 yards. I didn't even pay attention to it anymore. The game got to be a blowout. I didn't pay attention because I had not only taken Dallas Goddard, but I had taken, ladies and gentlemen, that's right, I had taken the Astros. You know what that is? That's my toes tapping. Hey, how about speaking of tapping? See what I did there? Let's give it up for Nick Cannon. Nick Cannon is just swinging that thing around, doing whatever he needs to do with whoever he needs to do it with. The great Nick Cannon. Honest to God, Nick Cannon decides, well, you know what? 10 ain't enough. 10 ain't enough. I'm going to go have another baby. Now, look, Nick Cannon, he got enough money. People can do whatever they want. But I love it. Even, even RG3, the dumbest of the dumb, says, how many kids does Nick Cannon have? He's having another baby. He's expecting his 11th with model Alyssa Scott. Look, I have a problem with two, I had a problem with two kids. Now you throw in these two and I can't remember anybody's name. I used to sit there and go, the hell's your name with my players? I'd be ready to yell at them. My brain are being, uh, would be going so fast that I'd go, who are you? And they go out, Coach, uh, I, you know, it's my fourth year. I'm a senior. My name is Anthony Stacey. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Could you imagine? 11. 11. All right. So, of course, Nick Cannon did it while, oh, I don't know, um, naked in the tub. Because how else do you want to show that you're having a baby? You better be naked in a tub. Yeah. I don't even know who the hell Nick Cannon is. I mean, I remember him like backstage interviewing people at stuff. I don't know who that guy is, but look at everybody else does. And apparently he's a star and apparently he gets women to have the sex with him unprotected. And apparently they all want to have babies because apparently Nick Cannon is, well, a great baby daddy. Eleven. I swear to God, I'd be like, my dad used to name us one, two, and three. My, and then we had Uyak, which means four in Serbian. That was the cat that my mom and dad had. So I was a two, a one. My brother was number one. I was number two. My sister was number three. And Uyak was number four. That's right, Uyak. Look it up. That's unbelievable. Let's go. Good for Nick Cannon. God bless you, Nick. Sling the caca all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we got a minute here. Dylan, this is a test for you. Can you put up that bar stool thing that shows the most overrated coaches in the history of college basketball? And it's got John Wooden number one. It's a test. See, if you're my producer, you got to do things on the fly. But this, there was a thing yesterday with bar stool. And I, I look, I don't know whether there's a rivalry between Outkick and Barstool, but I've known Big Cat 
and a PFT commentator forever. And Portnoy and I have text a lot, and he's come on my show, so I'm cool with, you know, with those guys. So I don't know if we're allowed to show it. I think we are. But anyway, so the fools over at Barstool had decided that they are going to put out a list of overrated coaches. Now, the top 10 college basketball coaches of all time, John Wooden, Bobby Knight, Dean Smith, John Calipari, Self, Bayam, Isa, blah, 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 blah. And they asked, who's the most overrated coach? Well, I got to tell you, the most overrated in this would be Andy Kennedy, even though I love Andy Kennedy. I think Andy Kennedy's a great guy, but he ain't in the class of these guys. But I will also say that the great Bob Knight is the all-time best coach in the history of college basketball for one reason and one reason only. He won with clowns like me. He got to the Elite Eight with me starting. Beat Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins, Kenny Smith. Are you kidding me? With me. And then when I went to Indiana, I realized, man, this dude can coach it up. This dude ain't messing around. So you cannot like Coach Knight. You cannot like what he was about. You cannot like the fact that, well, he was mean to people. He choked a kid. Whatever you want to say he did, he headbutted a kid. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care. I don't like the man. I want nothing to do with the man, even before he got sick. He tried to get me fired at ESPN. I was his guy. 16 years with him. Only guy, me and Quinn Buckner, two-time captain. And he tried to get me fired at ESPN because he, ladies and gentlemen, wanted my job. So I lost respect for him. This is the top 10 college basketball coaches according to OutKick. Now, here's the deal. They asked underneath it who's the most overrated. See, a lot of people think John Wood. Well, John Wooden won the most titles, but John Wooden never won squat until he had a guy named Sam Gilbert. Did you know that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar went, a.k.a. Lou Alcindor? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was the first recruit in the history of the world that was the number one recruit across the country. Everybody wanted him. Don't at me. All right? Oh, hey, thank you very much, Ryan. Yeah. Anyway, the deal is simple. Knight never cheated. Night one with clowns like me. Are you kidding me? No, no. Knight's the best all-time basketball coach. Krzyzewski did less with more, in my opinion. Nobody had more players in an era where uh, it was so lopsided. All these guys are great coaches, don't get me wrong. But there's nobody in my world that is better than Bob Knight, even though I don't like him. I don't have to like anybody. I'm not the media. I'm not the Indianapolis star. If I don't like you, then I'm not going to talk good about you. Hell, I can respect people that I don't like, or I respect the job that they did. Don't at me, people. All right, we come back. Ladies and gentlemen, I, Daniel J. Dockage, am on what is currently known as fire. I'll show it to you, too. Uh, by the way, go to DraftKings. Go to DraftKings. Go to outkick.com slash bets. It will get you to DraftKings. I'm starting to put it in my family's budget. I'm starting to say, well, you know what? I'm so good at this gambling thing that we're going to make, I don't know, three to $4,000 a month. That's how good I've gotten at this. Last night, what did I have? I listened. 
I listened to Jeff Clark. What did he give me? He gave me Dallas Goddard. I didn't know Dallas Goddard. Over 45. Easy. I parlayed it. I took it regular. I parlayed it with the Astros. Toes are tapping. We got internal strife going. We got Ryan and Dylan. I like it. We're like the 72 Oakland A's around here. We give you great content, but we ain't afraid to battle internally. We're like Steve Kerr getting punched by Michael Jordan. That's how we roll around here. When we come back, I got not one, not two, not three, not four, but five. Count them. Five bets for you. And we're going to win them all. Stay right here. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. You know, it is amazing who we make heroes these days. Uh, Migos rapper takeoff face deposition and trial in rape lawsuit before his death. There you go. Mm-mm-mm. That's sad news. All right. I was very bombastic before, <laughs> before we went. And by the way, I got to get into some honey, Sonny Hostin here at the end of the show. What a jackass that woman is. What a racist pig that woman is. She just is. And I won't have it. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, do yourself a favor. See this? This is a pen. See this? This is a piece of paper. Get yourself a pen and get yourself a piece of paper because there's going to be some knowledge bestowed on you. Now, these picks that I have given you haven't been great, and we're already giving them to you. Purdue, minus three and a half against Iowa. Um, Charlie Jones is the leading receiver for Purdue, all right? Charlie Jones was the leading receiver and punt returner, best punt returner in the league last year for Iowa. Purdue, ladies and gentlemen, is playing football to try, try. Don't look like it's going to happen. Looks like Illinois probably will. But they're trying to win the West to get themselves to Indianapolis. Purdue, Iowa, this could be 10 to nothing. I would bet this game down to three were I to be you. And I am going to bet this game down to three because I have a motto in gambling, and it is simply this. I hate the hook. I hate the hook. Petrus, the quarterback for Iowa, can't throw it to anybody because he lost both of his receivers to Purdue, his two favorite targets. Iowa's offense, it's well known. Brian Ferentz is in a heap of trouble as an offensive coordinator, and Kirk Ferentz may be as well if Iowa decides to move into the 2020s and get an offense that has some imagination. Why did they lose their two wide receivers to Purdue? I'll give you three words. Aiden O'Connell. That's right. You guys have forgotten about my Heisman Trophy potential candidate, Aiden O'Connell. You guys thought that Aiden O'Connell was or has been no good, ladies and gentlemen. May I just say, Aiden O'Connell has been just fine. In fact, Aiden O'Connell struggled against a Wisconsin team that was set up. Aiden O'Connell doesn't have any type of uh, running game, but he's got 15 touchdowns. He missed a game, eight interceptions, not great. He's usually far more accurate than that. But let's go over his last three games. Just his last three, 360 yards in a win over Maryland, 390 yards in a win over Nebraska, 320 yards in a loss to Wisconsin where he played poorly. He threw three interceptions. That ain't happening in this one. 
Aiden O'Connell is going to be fantastic in this game. Bet that down to three and take Purdue. All right? Wisconsin, Maryland. I'm not sure that I like Wisconsin's team even a little bit. I'm not sure that with Jim Leonard, Wisconsin is even better. Although, ladies and gentlemen, they did roll Purdue. One of the things that Wisconsin has to be kicking itself for is the double overtime loss to Michigan State. Let's be honest. Nobody should lose to Michigan State. All right? Other game, Washington State came into Madison. You take those two games out, and you can argue that Wisconsin's having a decent season. But alas, you cannot take those games out. Those games count. Those games matter. So we look at Wisconsin and we say, Danny D, yes. Talk to me about Graham Mertz. Well, Graham Mertz is who he is. Threw for 200 yards, but they beat Purdue. They're going to run the football, Wisconsin is. All right, fine. How are they going to do it? Well, what are they going to do? They're going to run it. They're going to pound it. They're going to keep pounding it, and they're not going to stop until Maryland says uncle. Now, Maryland, 6-2. and two. You all like Maryland. There will never be a time where I say Maryland is any good. Maryland has, look it up, the worst football coach in America. Look up Mike Loxley at New England. But I will give Maryland credit. They have beaten the teams that they should beat. They beat Indiana. They beat Northwestern. They're on a two-game jag. A coach like Loxley can't handle winning. A coach like Loxley is not going to have his team ready to go into Camp Randall. And, by the way, Wisconsin is energized because everybody in the state of Wisconsin wants native son Jim Leonard to be the football coach. Wisconsin, this is a telling game. This is a this is how our season is going to go game. That's what this game is. They go to Penn State. They have Ohio State, and then they have Rutgers. Chances are they may have only one more win after this game. They will get to win. Again, I hate the hook. I would bet it down to four, but I ain't mad at keeping the four and a half. All right. I debated this long and hard. I did. LSU, baby. That's right. LSU, Alabama. Last time I picked against Alabama, I took Tennessee. I took Tennessee to win outright. I did. And it won me an $1,800 parlay. I don't feel the same way about LSU that I feel about Tennessee. I felt like Tennessee at home, going to be nuts, the whole thing. It panned out. One field goal was missed. One field goal was made. Next thing you know, my toes are tapping. I don't feel the same way, but I do feel this way. I do feel that Brian Kelly's team is getting better. We talked about the quarterback at LSU being much better. We talked about Kelly adjusting and allowing his quarterback to run. I don't love Alabama's defense. I love their offense. Every time Bryce Young drops back, you feel like something good is going to happen. All right. But having said that, you're going to give me, you're telling me, you're going to give me LSU at home with an improving team. Brian Kelly's team, you can say whatever you want, but it's improving. You're going to give me that at home, and you're going to give me two touchdowns? I'm going to take it. You know, this is one of those games 
where you go, you know what? I got to tell you. Even if I lose the game, I still made the right bet. Now, that's the stupidest thing in the world. There's nothing dumber than that. You either win or you lose. But nah, 14 points, night game in Baton Rouge, Tiger Stadium. Are you kidding me? I'll take that 14. I'm not going to do what I did with Tennessee. With Tennessee, I took it to win outright, got plus 400. I'm not doing that. But I am going to take the 14, and I am going to bet on freaking I am. I'm going to bet on Brian Kelly at home at night to cover 14. This next one, you never know. You never know. But I think Auburn has had no heart this entire year. I don't think they've had any heart. I think they're a gutless operation that gutlessly fired their coach. I don't think their players stepped up at all. They've played well at different times. And I think now without a coach, some places get better. Other places get worse. Most get worse. Some get better right away. Like immediately you see a bump. I'm not buying it here. I ain't buying it with this crew. I see a crew that is like, well, the student teacher is in for the teacher. The substitute is in for the headmaster. I don't see this being one of those deals where, oh, man, look at Auburn come together. Yeah, I don't see it. I see it as, oh, man, we're done. Oh, man, it's over. Oh, man, I'm going to get mine. It's at Mississippi State. Now, I must tell you, I thought the number would be around 15, 17. I did. Make no mistake, Auburn's played people well. They played Mississippi 14 points. They were up early. They played Arkansas. They were up early. They got whomped a little bit by Georgia. Uh, LSU had a, had a win late. Uh, but the truth of the matter is there comes a breaking point in your operation. You're 3-5. and five. You don't have a coach. You've lost close games. There comes a breaking point. And the breaking point usually happens after a significant event, and it happens on the road. Auburn going to see Mike Leach is going to be problematic. Mike Leach's team isn't great. But look, Mike Leach always seems to, seems to put his team in a position to get better, get to a decent bowl. They have lost two in a row ever since they whomped Arkansas. They lost at Kentucky. They lost at Alabama. And now they're coming home and they're playing for a bowl. They got Georgia next. I think they beat the living hell out of Auburn. I'm keeping the hook. That hook doesn't matter to me. I'm keeping the hook and I'm keeping the 12 and a half and my toes are going to be tapping. All right. An NFL bet for you. Look, I think the Lions stink. DeAndre Swift didn't practice. I don't think, I don't think, maybe you do. I don't think that the Packers necessarily stink. I don't think this is a Packers team that we're going to say, hey, relax, they'll get better. I don't think it's that. But I don't think they stink. And I think every team in that division is scared to death of Aaron Rodgers. I think every team in that division can't beat Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers can show up, hold two fingers worth of scotch neat, and drill these teams by a minimum of three. Again, same thing. I don't like the hook. I don't like anything about the hook. So I'm not going to the hook. 
I'm going to get rid of the hook. I'm going to get rid of the hook. I'm going to take the Packers. Purdue, let's review. All right? Purdue, I'm moving it down to minus three. Wisconsin, I'm moving it down to minus four. I'm taking the full 14 on LSU at Alabama. Mississippi State, I'm giving the 12 and a half. I think this is one of those 30 to six games, that kind of game. And then the pack, I'm moving that down to minus three. Now, you can disagree with all of that, and I wouldn't blame you. My picks on here have been shaky at best. But my picks overall are winning me the big kahuna. Look, I don't know what you like to bet, but we all need a little help once in a while, don't we? Like, you're going to tell me you're going to take Northwestern and 38? Yeah, I don't know, man. Doesn't 38 points seem like a lot of points? Doesn't 38 points seem like if I'm going to take that, ah, jeez. God, I don't know, man. I, I, I think I got to take, uh, I think I'd have to take Northwestern. There's some weird lines. Indiana's getting 14. I don't know about you, but Indiana uh, stinks. Penn State is okay. I think, I think I would take, if I were going to bet this game, I think that I would take Indiana and the 14 at home. But I digress. All right, I'm going to get into this Sonny Hostin from The View. But I'm going to do it at the end of the show. So right now... We're going to give you a little woke dope. Who is today's woke dope? Who do we got? Oh, man. Remember AOC? She's bitch. She's a, like everybody else in the world that we live in, she has become a terminal bitcher, whiner, moaner, and of course, of course, a hater of Elon Musk. Oh, by the way, Uh, I don't know, don't look now, but guess what? AOC is in her Tesla. She's whining about Elon Musk, absolutely whining about Elon Musk coming after her Twitter account. And you know what? If Musk did, good. Good. Yeah, I got no problem with it. It don't bother me. If Elon Musk went after her Twitter account, I'm all in on it. Hey, man, you guys have had free reign. Y'all have had free reign. Y'all have had free reign forever. Are you kidding me? Y'all have had free reign to say and do whatever it is that you all have wanted to say and do. Y'all have had free reign to talk, lie, whatever. And now someone is actually paying attention to the stupidity that you all spew. And now you're going to whine about it. Good. As a friend of mine told his wife, you're not happy with me? You're mad at me? Okay. I just don't want to hear about it. Yeah, I just don't want to hear about it. That's good. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 it's good. I, I just don't want to hear about it. No biggie. It's all good. Same thing with AOC. You're mad? You're a victim? You got to be a victim. Who could survive in this world in the public eye without at least at some point being a victim? Good. Get in your Tesla and hate on Elon Musk. 
Tax the rich. What's that Tesla cost? What does that dress cost? How do you fall for the crap that these people say? How do we do it? It's impossible. Tax the rich in a $20,000 dress this woman wore. Huh? Nobody said a word. Or $35,000 dress. And by the way, do you really need a $35,000 dress? Tax the, ri- tax the rich, this woman says, as she gets into, what is it, a seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 Tesla, maybe more? Yeah. Tax the rich. All right. I don't watch The View. I've never watched The View. I don't even know when The View is on. All right? No idea. I, I don't. I'm sorry. I should. I guess. I don't. I've never had an interest. I don't know why Oprah, not Oprah, uh, what's her name? Whoopi Goldberg has anything to say to me about anything. But The View is a very popular show. Now, I lost interest in The View when a female co-worker who used to co-host The View when I was at ESPN, she was on it once in a while, was told by Whippy Goldberg when Whippy Goldberg canceled her appearance on The View. Now, we're not having white girls on this week. All right. Seems a tad racist. So when The View did that, I kind of lost interest in The View. I'm kind of like, hey, look, I got to tell you, I ain't having no white girls on is complete BS. I don't support it. So there's somebody named Sonny Hostin. I don't know who Sonny Hostin is. I have no idea. There she is. Uh, fine. What she been in, what she done, what she's a blatant racist. Let's hear from this idiot and let's hear her idiotic view on But what's also surprising to me is the abortion issue. Um, I read a a poll just yesterday that white Republican suburban women are now going to vote Republican. Why? It's almost like roaches voting for raid, right? It's it's like they're voting voting against their own self-interest. Do they want to live in Gilead? Okay, so do we love it in the hands? Do we love democracy or not? Because just saying that it's it's insulting to the voter. People make up decisions on what's right for their family. And the idea that you should have a say. So now white women are roaches. So now it's okay. On a company, a show owned by Disney, it's okay for this racist idiot, Sony whatever her name is, and you could tell that she was not going to listen to anything because Sony was talking and we must respect Sony as she is a blatant racist and very, very hateful to white women, but she's all about inclusiveness and she's not going to listen to anybody. When people put their hands out on their sides and look up in the air as whoever that woman was, I don't care what side any of these women are, but I got to tell you, if Sony Hostin calls you a roach, you know what I'd do? I'd go vote twice. I think I would. I think I would go vote twice if this idiot doesn't like the fact that I'm voting Republican. I would be, no, actually I wouldn't be, but it would be interesting one time, one time, one time for somebody to have a legitimate conversation and say this, white women are voting Republican. Why are they doing that? 
Did you know, I'll tell you why. Did you know, and Kurt Schilling said it earlier, there's not a person out here other than Biden and both sides of the aisle politicians that are making any money whose financial status has improved in the two years under this regime. Did you know that women control the budget in the majority of households across the country? This isn't 1953 when Darren Stevens comes home and his wife pours him a drink and she's been around the house all day dressed up. This is 2022. White women, black women, understand the finances of the day. And they understand that nobody, and I mean nobody, in this country other than the deep state, the oligarchy, politicians, is financially better off. Let me explain further. White women, suburban white women, suburban black women, go to the store. My wife tells me all the time, did you know a pound of turkey is up to $12? She goes to the Kroger. She understands the finances of the day far better than I do, as most women now do. And this Sony Hostin is apparently stuck in 1956, where all she wants to do is say that this is what's going on and I can't believe. No, a simple question. I saw this poll. White suburban women are voting Republican. Why? Why, Whoopi? Why do you think that is? Hey, Joy, why do you think that is? Hey, lady next to me with the three names, why do you think that is? Wouldn't that be an interesting show? Wouldn't that be something that people would watch? As opposed to, I'm going to say this because my name is Sony Hostin and somehow, someway, I fit the profile to be on this show. I'm obviously an idiot, but that's okay. I fit the profile. It's all about diversity and inclusion. Okay, fine. You fit. Uh, what have you done? I'm sure she's done a lot. Uh, I'm sure that Sony Hostin is somebody that we're all supposed to know. And now we do. How do we know her? She is a racist jackass. Period. The worst of our society. The worst people among us. That's who Sonny Hostin is. There is no outrage from Disney because Disney is scared to death of one thing and one thing only. And that is simply to be called racist. To have Bomani Jones say that they're racist. To have Stephen A. Smith question the racial integrity of the company. Hell, I literally did this. The media is the same thing. The media is absolutely the same. Next time the media tells you, oh, I don't know, silence is complicit, go to this. I haven't heard any media other than Fox News condemn her. I haven't heard anybody stand up in our media and say, well, it really is racist as hell to call white women cockroaches, voting for insecticide. It, it really is. And nobody at Yahoo, nobody at any Gannett newspaper is ever going to step up. Their, science, their silence is complicit. What are they complicit in? I'll tell you what they're complicit in. 
They're complicit in being scared to death that that word, that horrible word, racist, is going to be cast down upon them. True story. This created a national news storm. Headlines in the USA Today, three days worth of stories in the Indy Star, when I told a complete whack job of a professor, no, I won't go at it in a pool with you. You are not my wife. I won't go at it in a pool with any one woman that isn't my wife. The Indy Star ran three days. I debased her, she said. Violence with my words. Okay, whatever. Uh, you may go in a pool with someone that isn't your wife or husband. I ain't going in a pool with someone that ain't my wife and a husband. A national blank storm. Three days of Indy Star. Not one word on this. Not one word anywhere on this. Why? The R word. The dreaded racism. Disney lost their minds. Phone calls were made. Michael Schiffman, the head of ESPN. Dan, what's going on here? What are you talking about? I ain't going in a pool. You don't like it? I can't help you. Oh, my God. Not a word from Disney on calling white women cockroaches, voting for insecticide. I just ask a simple question. Why? Why are white women in the suburbs traditionally a base of the Democrats? Why are they voting Republican? The answer is clear. They're smart. They pay attention. Black women. Same thing. They're smart. They pay attention. They can't be fooled by giveaways. They can't be fooled by Obama phones. They can't be fooled by any of this. They go to the store. They see the prices. They control the finances. They see where their 401ks are. What are you talking about? They see their gas bill every month. Why wouldn't you vote Republican? That's a better question. Why wouldn't you vote to get these people out? That's the better question. It's a simple question. It always is the simplest question. Why? That's it. That's the simplest question. I saw a poll. White women in the suburbs, traditionally a Democratic base, are voting Republican. Why? But these idiots on TV, these entitled, manipulative, racist, absolute pieces of human garbage are out here every day dividing with hate, with racism, and it doesn't stop. And they are the worst of the worst. Nonviolent crime division. I always say violent crime division, that's the worst. If you're going to murder, rob, rape, you're worse. There's divisions. Nonviolent crime division, these people that every day spew racism, spew hate, and that's all they do, are the worst form of our humanity. But you know what? Disney won't say jack squat. Fantastic week. Ryan, I'm going to you first because you're putting up all the different things, brother. Dylan, fantastic. Aaron, unbelievable. Haley, Kahaley, cannot thank you enough. This show is growing. Do me a favor. Dave Carroll, I thank you for the retweets. Thanks all of you that have been on the YouTube chat all week. If you have reaction to our show, good. Good. 
Jennifer, my good friend, says, Dan, please stop and think about how the cockroaches feel. They are being demonized. Man, we're just okay with racism as long as it comes on the view from the media against white people, against Jewish people. And that's got to stop. Just got to stop. Racism needs to stop. Sony Hostin, Sonny Hostin needs to be fired and needs to be fired immediately. And I never say that. Have a great, great, great weekend. <clears throat> Join me, 107.5 The Fan, or at 93.5107.5.com. I'm going to be on a show called All Indiana Bets with my friend Jason Hammer. We'll be doing that. Yes, sir. That's on Sunday, noon to one on Wish TV. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a great one.